together, isn't it? It's great to be able to welcome one another and just be in the house of God together as his family of believers. Well, whilst you take your seats, I'm excited to be sharing with um, you this morning. And I'm praying that the words that I have to say will be words that will come from the heart of God and will touch our lives and help give guidance and direction. And talking about guidance and direction, how many of you use a sat-nav often? I don't know what I did prior to sat-navs. I really don't. Like now, when you want to go somewhere, you don't even bat an eyelid, do you? There's no planning. There's no maps that you've got to get. How many people have a map in their car? Oh, Lorraine does. Well done, Lorraine. But like, you used to have to go around with a map in your car. No more anymore. We've got sat-navs. Do you know what? I really, like I said, I don't know what I would do without a sat-nav. We recently went to, um, to London, and I use it to navigate us um, around London to get to different sites. I use it all the time. We've um, traveled to France and Spain in the car, and I do print out a paper copy just in case the electronics don't work. But it's fair to say I've not yet needed to rely on them just as well because my map reading skills are a bit like zero. But sat-navs are brilliant. They're awesome because you type in the destination and they get you from A to B. And have you noticed that sometimes that um, when you have got a sat-nav, the great thing is, is that it's actually reading road conditions along the way, isn't it? So it's constantly updating and giving you solutions in case perhaps there's a diversion, maybe there's an accident, maybe something's happened and it will say, like, we're going to veer off. And I can remember um, one day when I decided to follow a, an example of, um, of a, a route change on the sat-nav. It didn't go that well, though, it's fair to say, because the only thing that our sat-nav does, doesn't do is it doesn't ask us to type in the height of our vehicle when it's planning the route. So um, we were navigating our way um, through France, and we were making our way through Paris to get to a final destination just outside Calais, ready to come home. And we were an hour away from our destination and we'd been traveling for a number of hours, so we were quite excited. We should arrive there about three o'clock in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, the sat-nav says, save 30 minutes by going this way. I was like, Dave, it's only like a few hundred meters in front of us. Should I select this exit off the uh, motorway? Yeah, do it. So I do that, and all of a sudden it goes, recalculating, recalculating. So we're like, yes, we've just saved ourselves 30 minutes on the journey. This is wonderful. So we're driving down this road for about another five minutes, and then it tells us to turn to turn left or right, I can't remember. So anyway, we do, and then all of a sudden, we get to like these toll booths, and it says, Maximum height, 1.81 meters. And we're like, hmm. We've got a roof box on our car, and our car is over two meters. And we're like, hmm, what do we do? So Dave said, do you know what? He said, 
he said um, it kind of like it had like a barrier system on the top but it's kind of one of those things like where it's like foam things hanging down at dangles like this and he's like I reckon there's a bit of tolerance in these things that are hanging down Faye so if I just edge myself slowly under them I know it says 1.8 something but he said I reckon I can get through this barrier so I'm like okay let's do it all of a sudden we're, we're edging ourselves through this barrier that says 1.8 meters maximum sirens start going off and I'm like I'm not the girl that breaks rules like normally okay I'm not that girl and I'm like this and I'm like my French is like you know GCSE French you know and baguette s'il vous plaît but you know not much and I was just like oh my gosh and this guy comes running out starting to speak to us in French and he's going no 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 like that and he's going and Dave's going ah. and he's like what do we do and he said go off on this slip road so we're like, oh, okay. So we're like, right, we'll go off on this slip road. So we went off on this slip road and the sat nav said, recalculating, recalculating. Five minutes later, we're back at the same, <laughs> at the same bollard things. And I'm like, oh dear Lord. And the kids are in the back anyway. We didn't attempt to go under them a second time. So we went off on the slip road. So I was like, what do we do? So we were like, right, we are just gonna have to, um, we're just gonna have to make something up we had no idea where we were going because of course I hadn't printed out route maps because we'd done a diversion off the way that we should have been going so we um we took this diversion well we took this road in front of us and anyway we took this road and then the um the sat nav finally got us and found a route that we could follow do you know how long we were only an hour away when this started do you know how many extra hours it added to the journey with four children in a car having already done about three hours five hours extra I'm telling you, it scarred us. It was tough. We were bursting for the toilet and we were stuck in traffic on the outskirts of France five hours. And do you know what it was? The reason why we couldn't go through these bollards and things was because we were actually, I mean, I don't know, we would have ended up with a soft top car if we had tried it because we were actually going through an underground tunnel system that was bypassing all of Paris. And that's why there was height restrictions because you could only be under like 1.8 meters so yes yeah, so consequently now I'm always really mindful when I'm looking at roads on a sat nav to just check if the roads have any height restrictions because five hours is a long time for a diversion and yeah so sometimes sat navs are great but they also divert you and you can end up spending a lot of time going on the off the beaten track or stuck in traffic. So I was thinking about the idea of a sat nav and just the idea of it navigating us to a destination. And really our lives are very much like that, aren't they? Our lives are like a journey that we're going on a road and we start off at our starting point and we're heading towards a final destination. And often we make plans for what that final destination, um, like the route that we're going to take to get to that final destination but sometimes the journey doesn't go according to plan anyone ever taken a wrong turn 
Yeah, sometimes there's a wrong turn that gets taken and that causes us have to change things. Like I said, maybe there's a diversion in place. Maybe there's an accident. But the really great thing about a sat-nav is that even if there are all these detours and twists and turns in the journey, it still holds the final destination as its endpoint. So all it does is it keeps changing, twisting, turning, moving you until you finally reach the destination that you're looking to go to. And our lives are like that. Our lives, we, while we make our plans and we try to make the most direct route and we try to make things easy, often it doesn't work like that. But the destination that we're heading to remains the same. And this is specifically important in the lives of us as believers. We have an end goal in sight and our end goal doesn't change. Now, sometimes we may make plans and have ideas of how we're going to reach the end goal. But life, just like a journey in a car, often is filled with unexpected twists and turns. The circumstances of life cause us to have to change and reroute and make a change to the way that we were planning to go. But what I love about the life that we have as believers in Christ is that when we are journeying through life, we're not left to our own devices when all of a sudden we've got to go in a different direction because there's an obstacle ahead. I love that the Bible has got it's like our satnav. The Bible is like our satnav that gives us a prescriptive list of all of the things that we need to know to help navigate us as we may have to take a slightly different direction or we may have to navigate um, an obstacle or maybe take a different route than we were expecting. The Bible never, ever leaves us floundering for what to do. And you know, that is such a confidence that we can have as we navigate through life that we never have to think, what do I do in this situation? All we ever have to do is to go to God and go to his word and say, Lord, show me through your word, through your your sat-nav for our lives, through your manual, how I'm to deal with this, this situation, how I'm to live through this, how I'm to make decisions based on what I find in front of me. Dave's been talking about this over recent weeks, talking about how the Word of God helps us to navigate through situations that we find ourselves in. Two weeks ago, Dave talked about a fruitful fall, and he read from James 1 where it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete and whole, lacking nothing. And then last week we saw how God's word came through the apostle Paul in the fact that when things are overwhelming that we don't need to stress out because Philippians 4 6 says this be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Navigational points from the Word of God to help us 
deal with anxiety, to help us navigate through trials and tests that we find ourselves encountering. And this morning, what I really want to do is just bring another scripture to us from the Word of God that, again, will help us as we live our daily lives, as we navigate through this journey of life, so that we can reach our final destination, because that's the end goal, isn't it? That we reach the goal, the prize which God has called us for. So I'm going to read um, from Proverbs 17:22 today, and I'm going to read it from two versions and I'm going to begin by reading it from um, the New King James Version. And it says this, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. In the Passion Translation, it's translated this, A joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both the body and the soul. But the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. Have you ever taken much time to consider that? Reading these scriptures, has it kind of made you go, oh, I didn't realize the Bible would say something like that? Because really what these scripture, or this scripture is saying is that the condition of our heart has an impact on our lives and our health. And there are scriptures like this throughout the Bible that talk about how we live and how our, our living affects our health. In Proverbs 14.30, it says this, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy is like cancer in the bones. And Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. The Bible's so accurate, isn't it? The Bible is so accurate when it comes to our lives. And why does the Bible include scriptures like this? Do you know the reason why it does is because God is so interested in you and I. He's not just interested in our spirit and us going to heaven. He's interested in our bodies as well. He's interested in us body, soul, and spirit. He's interested in every aspect of our lives. And he knows the way he's created us. And he knows that the fact is that our heart has a bigger bearing on us than what we are expect, than what we may expect. And so he takes the time to lovingly give us his wisdom through the word of God to help us daily, because that's what these wisdom scriptures are doing, isn't it? They're wisdom from God to help us navigate through life to cause us to think maybe we've never thought about the fact that the condition of our heart is going to have an outcome in our bodies. When we read about the heart in these scriptures, what are we talking about? Well, we're not talking about our physical organ of the heart. That's not what we're talking about. When we read these scriptures, we are talking about our inner man ourself. We're talking about our mind, our will, our thoughts, our understanding and our emotions. We're talking about the core of who we are. 
So when we read these scriptures, we're looking at who we are, the way we think, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And just like our physical heart is vitally important in sustaining our health, so also is our mind, will, and emotions playing a pivotal role in our lives as well. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What is to guard something? Well, to guard something is to protect it. We're to guard our hearts and not just alongside other things. It says we're to guard our hearts above all else. We're to make this a priority in our lives. I don't know about you, but I have a number of insurance policies running in the background. I've got a car insurance policy, a house policy. If you've got animals, you may have pet insurance. And also there's life insurance. We know how to protect things against the eventualities of life because many of us will have those insurances in place for our lives so that when the unexpected comes, we're not left stranded. Yet the Bible says, above everything else, actually, what about the protection that we have for our hearts? Are we really considering what we are allowing into our hearts? And are we really considering what we are allowing from our hearts? Notice that this scripture doesn't say that our circumstances determine our life and the direction of our life. It doesn't say that. It says our heart determines the course of our life. Our heart is vitally important in navigating us and in giving us direction ahead. So making sure that our mind, will, and emotions stay healthy are vital because it impacts every area of our lives, determining our course and direction. So this morning, what I want us to do this morning, and then we'll look at it in a few weeks' time as we continue to look at this, is just to dive into this scripture a bit more, to see what nuggets we can extract of wisdom from this scripture that's been crafted by our God to you and I. It's been handed to us. And really for us, it's about us understanding what this means and then understanding how we can put it into practice in our lives. So let's read it again. Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart does good like medicine. How many of you are thankful that there is medicine? <laughs> I'm telling you, I have had to use it regularly. And in recent years, I can't tell you how many times I've had to have antibiotics because of infections in my teeth. But do you know what? I am so grateful for medicine that comes to, to help heal my body when it is sick and needing healing. And this scripture says that our heart... Our joyful, our merry heart is like a medicine. It brings healing to the body and our soul. That's what our heart does. It helps us keep our body strong. 
And it goes on to say, doesn't it, later on in that verse, but a broken spirit dries the bones. That literally means like sucking out the marrow from the bones. It means like to drain your strength. The Living Bible talks about us make it, making us sick. A broken spirit has the ability to drain us of our strength and to make us sick. So I want us to begin to look at the fact and understand clearly the fact that there is a direct link between the condition of our heart and also our health. Now that is not saying, I am not saying that if our heart is, that's the only reason why we get sick is because the condition of our heart. Okay, I'm not saying that. There is sickness in this earth and we don't understand it and it's real. I am not saying, I don't want us, any of you or me going around diagnosing each other and saying, well, she's got that. It must be because her heart's not merry. It must be because of da, 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 da. she must have a crushed spirit. I'm not saying that, okay? So we won't be doctors and get our little like medical assessment things. I'm not saying that. Sickness, the Bible says that there is sickness and the Bible said that God sent his word to heal our diseases. So God is the remedy for our sickness and he promises to be our healer but also as we navigate through life it's really important that we understand that our actions can actually impact our health as well okay so we there are things that we need to understand about that and just to do a bit of a diagnostic it's like taking in a car for an mot a bit of a health check making sure everything is okay so we, I don't know about you, but when I read, it's saying that a merry heart does good like medicine. It really makes me want to know more about what's contained in this word merry. What does merry mean? Well, merry means joyful. It means rejoicing, it means glad, and it means full of cheer. Do you know what? When you read that list of adjectives, you can't read them with a frown on your face, can you? Those make you feel happy, joyful, rejoicing, glad, full of cheer. I'm like, I want that. I want that for my life. That's what I want my life to look like every day. So is a merry heart available to everyone? Or is it only for those who have bright, cheery dispositions? What if you're a kind of person who says, well, I tend to be a half, the glass half full kind of person. Does that mean that I, I can have a merry heart? Or is it just for those that seem to skip through life really happy, really cheerful? No, a merry heart has got nothing to do with maybe your natural disposition or personality, okay? A merry heart is available to each one of us because a merry heart is a true choice. A merry heart is a choice and it's something that we have to pursue with all our hearts. Now sadly, unlike medicine, we can't go to the shop and just buy a bottle off the, t um, off the counter and pop a pill and we're done, merry heart. It doesn't work like that, okay? This is going to take our time and our energy and us working on this for this merry heart to come from our lives because it is a choice that we all have and it's available to everyone. 
So the first thing I want us to look at in this list of ingredients of a merry heart is that first word that we looked at, which is to be joyful. So what do we know about joy? Well, first of all, there is a big difference between joy and happiness. And I just want to say that at the outset. Happiness is a reaction to something great. Whereas joy is the product of someone great. Happiness is an emotion, just like sadness is, jealousy is, or fear is. And it's fleeting. It comes and goes. And normally we are happy when things are favorable and going well, when we're eating our favorite dessert, when we don't have to eat sprouts, you know, when we're getting to have loads of copious amounts of chocolate, when we're getting to do the things that we like to do, we feel happy. But it's fleeting because life's not like that. We don't always get to do the things that make us happy. So happiness comes and it goes, and it's dependent on circumstances. But joy is different. Because joy isn't an emotion that's based on a circumstance. Joy is a state of being. And it is something that happens as a result of having God in our lives. Listen to what it says here in Romans 15, 13. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, what will he do? He will fill you completely with joy. So we have joy as a result of God filling us completely with it. And it goes on to say, and peace, he'll fill us with joy and peace because we trust him. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, when we say, I am following you, thank you for what you did on the cross for me. He fills us with the joy of salvation. He fills us with his joy and it is a state of being. It's not fleeting. It doesn't come and it doesn't go. It resides within us because he fills us with it. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it then says, and then God takes it back. He doesn't say that. It says he fills us with it. And do you know what? If he fills us with it, it's ours. We've got it. It's a state of being. And it's not dependent on our circumstances. Because joy is all dependent on who we are connected to. We are connected to God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. The one that purchased our lives by hanging on the cross because he He loved us so much that he gifted us his salvation. Joy comes from an assurance that God is in control and that he loves us. And it isn't based on feelings and it isn't based on circumstances. Because if it was based on feelings and circumstances, the reality is for all of us is that it would mean that we wouldn't be living in joy all the time. Because life isn't always a fairy tale. Bad things happen. We go through tough times. We lose people we love and our hearts break and grieve. We feel the disappointment of plans not working out. 
But Philippians 4.4 says this, Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Why? Let that joy overflow, for you are anointed. You are united with the anointed one. That's why we can have joy. Regardless of the seasons that we find ourselves in, we have joy because we are united with him. He is our source of hope today. And our joy is not necessarily a fuzzy feeling. Okay, it's not, it's a state of being, it's a deep state of being of joy that is given by God. And as Christians, when we place our faith and hope in him, we have hope for two horizons. There's the earth in which we navigate now, and then there is the end goal of heaven, which we are promised an eternal inheritance with him, seated in heavenly places with God. Our hope today, yes, we have hope for today, but also we look beyond our circumstances and we gaze and we fix our hope on the joy that is to come when we shall meet Jesus face to face. And do you know what? We always need to be reminded of that dual factor of hope because it's so important in helping us to navigate through life. And Jesus was the ultimate example of how this looks. Hebrews 12 says this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He allowed his body to be broken, beaten, torn. There was no joy in that for him. That was awful. But actually, he was like, do you know what? It's not this joy right now and that I'm experiencing by what's going on in my body. But he's looking ahead and sees us in the future. He's looking ahead and sees us in the future. He says, but actually, because of what I see in the future, because I see man being reconciled to me, because of the joy that is before me, that is why I'll endure the cross. Because I can see that in laying down my life, by giving myself up, by going through this brutal execution, I am actually securing the salvation for humanity and a relationship that is um, complete and um, between God and man. So Jesus paves the way and shows us it's possible to have joy in, in the hardest of situations. And I was reading recently, um, David shared this story before, but I was reading recently just of the story of a gentleman called Horatio Spatford. Listen to how this joy was worked out in his life. So Horatio was a successful lawyer with every reason to be thankful for God. However, in 1871, his four-year-old son died. And while struggling with personal tragedy in the same year, the Great Chicago Fire reduced his family's property investments and their financial securities to ashes. So to give his family time and space to recover from the tragedy that they'd experienced, Horatio made plans for him and his wife and his four daughters to join D.L. Moody on one of his European preaching tours. But as his family boarded the SS Ville de Havre in November 1873, 
A business emergency forced Horatio to remain in Chicago while his family went on ahead. In the middle, I've read this loads of times and I cry every time. In the middle of the Atlantic, the ship collided with another ship and it sank in 12 minutes with the loss of 226 passengers. Several days later, Horatio received a telegram for his wife that said, from Cardiff, that said, saved alone. <laughs> All of his daughters had drowned. Horatio immediately set off his wife um, to Wales to bring his wife home. And on crossing to Wales, the ship's captain summoned Horatio to the bridge, informing him that th we are now passing the place where the ship went down. It says Horatio returned to his cabin that night. <laughs> and he wrote the words of a hymn that we'll all be famil familiar with. It is well, it is well with my soul. I'm going to read the song to you today because Horatio went through a really dark time. Life for him, he had everything stolen from him. And yet, in the song that we see, we see a, seat, a deep seated joy come from his life where he didn't focus his attention on the circumstances that were around him that were all encompassing and they were full of grief but in that place he allowed his hope of salvation and of Jesus to gaze to gaze on him and it says this in the song when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrow like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Only a believer can write something like that when their, ho their hope is found in Jesus. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The tramp shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Joy is not a fuzzy feeling. I imagine as Horatio penned those words, he perhaps had tears streaming down his face. 
However, joy has the ability for us to, um, to look beyond the circumstances. And I love how Horatio completely chose to focus in on God, his hope, our salvation. He focused in on that. And that is why he was able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Joy gives us perspective to be able to navigate the difficulties of life. A merry heart in the midst of inconsistencies, in the midst of the knocks and the bangs, and in the midst of the sorrows and the griefs and the disappointments and the complex issues that we, we may face. Joy and a merry heart is able to look up at the cross and draw strength from there because we know that we are connected to God. Isaiah 12, 3 said this, with joy, you will drink deeply from the foundation of self, from the fountain of salvation. Our salvation, our connection with God, our trust in Him that He promises to give us joy is the thing that enables us to have a merry heart. That blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And that joy has a massive part to play in our everyday because it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on feelings. It is based on a confident assurance of who our God is and what he promises to do. And as we allow our lives to be merry, as we choose to tap into that joy, we find that joy is going to impact us, body, mind, and spirit. just want to give us some practical help and instruction with regards to joy. Because our walk of, um, of faith is a walk of faith. It's not a walk of feelings. So how can we nurture? How can we promote joy in our lives? Well, one thing I want to say is spend time with God. We can nurture and cultivate joy in our lives by spending time with him, meditating on his promises. It is a guaranteed way to make our heart feel glad. The prophet Jeremiah testified this in Jeremiah 15, 16. He said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. Devour the word of God. That will cause us to have joy in our hearts as we read, as we meditate on his promises, as we see all that he's done, as we look through the Bible and see his faithfulness in our lives. That will cause our joy to completely expand in our lives as we remind ourselves of our God and who he is. So the first thing I encourage us all is to make sure we spend time meditating in the Word of God. And also, let's spend time in His presence as well. David in the Old Testament and Peter in the New Testament found their greatest joy 
in being found in the presence of God. Acts 2.28 says this, You have shown me the way of life, and you fill me with the joy of your presence. When we presence ourselves with God, we are filled with joy. God promises to always be with us. And we just want to remind ourselves constantly, like David, like Peter, like other Bible heroes that we see, we want to make sure that we prioritize to spend time in his presence because that's when we experience the fullness of joy. So the first thing we're looking at is joy. Is there anything else, though, that we need to consider in terms of having a merry heart? Well, another thing that I really believe is really important for all of us to examine is where we place our attention. Let's examine where we place our attention. Throughout history, we see a common thread running through humanity, and that is its desire to lift up and worship something. In the Bible, we read that God says that we're to have no other gods before him. Yet if we read the Bible and we read through the New Old Testament, we track the children of Israel and we see that they're constantly veering away from God's instruction to them. They're constantly going off, beginning to serve other gods, creating idols, worshiping them. They allow themselves to be distracted by other things and they turn away from God's precepts which says just focus on me just serve me just worship me and me alone so where do we find ourselves in the culture and society that we live in today is anything changed I mean over two three thousand years have passed have we come become more cultured more civilized are we more obedient are we able to look from the lessons of the past and see how oh no we don't do that no, the reality is if we were to look at society as a whole and the culture in which we live in, our idols may look different, but the heart of man is still the same. Our intentions and our affections are easily displaced and we often find ourselves focusing on and lifting up many different things. It could be, you know, a person that we elevate and lift up in our affection and attention. Maybe it's a hobby or an interest. Maybe it's an object that we've acquired and we place it high in our focus. But here's the thing. People are imperfect. So they're going to let us down. We're going to let ourselves down because we're imperfect. Things have shells lives. Okay, they may glisten for a while, but they're not going to be glistening forever. And circumstances can change at the drop of a hat. We've just gone through COVID. We know all about that, hey? So elevating circumstances, elevating things and elevating people, if we do that with our attention, the likelihood is we're going to end up really disillusioned, disappointed in life, disappointed because things aren't what we thought they would be. Things feel empty. Have you ever been on holiday and walked past a bakery with an amazing looking cake? On, I would say abroad. I'm going to put the word in abroad to quantify this. I can remember as a child walking past a bakery, I think it was in Spain, and just saw this outstanding looking piece of chocolate cake. And I was just like, can I have it? Can I have it? And my parents bought it for me. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I bit into it and I went, 
Mm. It looked amazing, but it just didn't taste like the Great British Brownie. I've got to be honest. Sculpted beautifully, but it was a bit spongy. It was not gooey and rich like I was expecting. And it was a big disappointment. So, in terms of a merry heart, we need to really be mindful what we elevate and where we place our attention and our affection. And we read that one of the ingredients of a merry heart is rejoicing. So what does rejoice mean? Well, rejoice means to feel and to show great joy and delight. Rejoicing is to be part of our everyday lives. Rejoicing, just like joy though, is an act of the will. It is a choice that we have to make. So what do we rejoice about? Well, it's not about rejoicing who won the football. Okay, or it's not that kind of rejoicing. What are we to rejoice about? We're actually rejoicing and putting our focus and attention on God and his ways and his good works. I love what David says in Psalm 92 verse 4. It says, you thrill me, Lord, with all that you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. We, as the people of God, are to consider all that God has done and rejoice in his works, rejoice in the good things that he's done. And when we do that, we will find that the atmosphere of our emotions change. We will find that there will be a buoyancy in us as we take our eyes off things down here and we focus our eyes on God. Because I don't know about you, but there's nothing disappointing about God. He blows my mind every time I read about him, when I see what he's done through creation, when I've seen how he's lovingly and faithfully loved humanity, despite the fact that we keep tripping and stumbling, we keep leaving. I, I, I get overwhelmed to see God's great love and grace towards us. When I look at how he, he did the miracles that have happened, I just can't help but be happy and joyful and rejoice. And we're to rejoice in all that God has done for us and in the lives of his people. Joel 2, 21 says this, Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. He has done great things. And every day we have to remind ourselves of the great things that he's done because you won't find the BBC, ITV or Sky News actually declaring many of the good things or any of the good things that God's done, if we put our attention or on those kind of things, we're going to come away quite deflated when we read about all the bad things that are going on in life. But God says, no, don't put your attention on focus on that. Why don't you go to the book and each day put your attention and focus on me and who I am and my consistency and my faithfulness and my love and all of the wonderful things that I I've done for you. Do you know what it says in Acts? When the, um, the, the, um, the Spirit came and fell, it says there were many people from many nations gathered and they were all speaking in tongues, all speaking in tongues. And do you know what it says? They were all speaking in their languages about the wonderful things that God had done. 
the wonderful things that God had done. Say that after me, the wonderful things that God has done. God wants us to rejoice in the wonderful things that God has done. He wants us to place our attention and our affection on him and remind ourselves of the wonderful things that God has done. I can remember when we went and bought um, our car, um, our last car a few, well, not the car we've got now, the time before that. So I went and collected the car with Dave. And when we got home, um, I said to my mum, should I take you on a spin in a, on a spin from with our car? Yes. So um, we managed to get off the driveway and it was an automatic. I'd never really driven an automatic car before. And we lived on a hill in Cumbran at the top of Tucanal on a hill. And so anyway, I got off the driveway and then I couldn't get the car to go. So I said to Dave, I can't get the car going. He said, Wait, just start. I, I, I can't get it. It's not moving. He said, get out the car. I'll come and have a look. So I left it running and did what he said because he just told me, get out the car. <laughs> So I got out the car with a car running with my mum strapped in the, in the passenger seat and the car starts rolling down the hill. Now, you've got to understand, we're a family of six, okay? So we don't do small cars. So we're not talking about a Peugeot 106 or 7 here. We're talking about it's actually the largest people carrier on the market that we bought, a Sangyong Rodius. In Korea, it's actually made for 16 people. But for, um, for the UK market, it fitted seven or eight people, seven people, okay? So we're talking a beast of a thing. It actually looked a bit like a hearse. It really did. It was that kind of size and dimension. So the car starts rolling. But like I said, we live on a mountain. The car starts rolling down the hill. My mother is strapped in the car. Oh, my gosh. I started running after the car. The door was open. I jumped like this at the steering wheel and I tried to throw myself in through the door and grab onto the steering wheel because the, the hill's like this. It literally was careering about to go. It would have carried on on its path into the back of some, like it would have gone into a house. So I quickly grabbed and I was pulling with all my might on this steering wheel. As I'm um, pulling on the steering wheel, because I'm not actually in the car, I'm being dragged by the car along the floor. Okay, so, and then all of a sudden it banged into a wall, explosions go off, neighbors come running, they thought a plane had crashed. Um, and it was the car, the airbags had gone off. My mum, bless her, she was, she was okay, but she was a bit hurt by the airbag because they're quite powerful things. And <laughs> I'd had the car four hours. And um, anyway, so I got up and literally my clothes are ripped. I've got blood streaming down my knees. My arms are bruised and stuff like that. And uh, people attended to it. I wasn't really the one to attend to stuff like that. I'm the one who created the mess. And uh, anyway, they attended to it. And then um, Eden came out of the house then. Mum, I feel sick. Come on then, darling, I say, blood streaming down my knees, ripped clothes. I don't know if she was, I think she was oblivious of everything that was happening. Tended to her and I can remember going into my um, room 
And I was like, I've got a choice to make here now. I can either begin really rehearsing and remembering all this, this, this just happened and thinking about the consequences of this. Or Lord, I can just choose to place my focus and my attention somewhere else and choose to place my focus and attention on you. And you know, that is what I decided to do that day. I thought, I am not going to help myself in the slightest bit if I go through the sequence of events that has just happened. So I just started in the quiet quietness of my room, thanking the Lord for his goodness, thanking him that he redeems my life from destruction, thanking him for his faithfulness. I just began to thank him. And you know what? As a result of that, despite the circumstances that were going around, I can say that my heart was lifted. My heart was merry. Yes, things looked like a war zone outside. It looked like everything had gone wrong because it had, but my heart was buoyant. My heart was merry. My heart was glad. God wants us to focus and rejoice in him in the good times and in the bad times. And I would encourage each one of us practically that we need to make sure each day that we rejoice in him. Here's some practical help and instructions for us. Make it a priority on the outset of the day to focus on him and all that he has done. Because when we do that, honestly, you will feel lifted and buoyant in your spirit. Focusing on him daily, making a decision to place your mind on him. You may be a new Christian here before. This stuff you'd be like, well, listen, not being honest, but before, um, you know, I, I said the prayer to ask Jesus into my life, I wasn't doing these things as part of like my morning ritual of kind of, you know, getting my mind in place. Well, let me give you some encouragement to help you. If this whole idea of rejoicing in the Lord and putting him, like elevating him in your day sounds a bit weird or you're not sure what to do. Let me give you some practical help with that. First of all, I would say, if you're not good at remembering, set and put an alarm on your phone or put a post-it note by your bedside table. So when you wake up, it can say, rejoice in the Lord. Because then at least when you get up, you're not going, oh gosh, right, where am I? You can say, oh, actually, before I do all of that, I am going to rejoice in the Lord. And go through the Bible and look at all, find scriptures. Google's amazing. You can type in scriptures that talk about the works of God, scriptures to praise, and begin to find out what you can pray praise God for. Praise him that he saved you. Praise him that he loved you. Praise him that he says that he heals our bodies. Praise him for who he is. Praise him for what he's done in the lives of the people that you know. And choose at the outset of the day to praise him and rejoice in him. And you will be amazed how your perspective for the day will be transformed as we choose to elevate and place our attention on him at the outset of the day rather than attending to all of the other things that are all vying for our attention and we need to attend to them but just let's place and prioritize God first place. I remember singing a song when I was um, younger in church, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He learned. I can't, I can't remember any of that. But I can remember just singing, I'm going to praise his name. And it's surprising you begin to praise thinking about what the Lord has done. When we think of all his goodness, what he's done for us, we can't help but want to praise and shout and be exuberant towards him.
And then as challenges in the day arise, because they do, again, choose in the midst of that challenge. Yes, you may have to attend it, but in the midst of that challenge, choose again. Like I had to do with and with the car, choose to focus your attention on him, reminding yourself that he can make a way that where there seems to be no way, that he is more than able to look after it, that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Begin to remind yourself and declare the promises of God for your lives. And as we do that, as we focus our attention on him, the Bible says that our anxieties and fears will leave because we'll find freedom from those things as we find joy in rejoicing in our God. Isaiah 61 says this, he's given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He's given it us. So in the midst of situations that may be heavy, he says, I'm giving you a garment of praise. Choose to put your praise voice out there. Child of God, choose to sing. It may be a squawk, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. But praise and rejoice. Let's magnify him. Magnify him because when we magnify his mercies we forget all of our miseries we magnify who he is and we forget those other things yes they're part of life but do you know what he gives us strength to help us through our day so that's just the beginning of our message that we're looking at on um, having a merry heart and how a merry heart is good for our health. It changes things. Like I said, there's lots of things that go, um, go on in our lives. And can I say, I look here today and I see our beautiful congregation. And for some, I know your stories. And I see how we are doing this. You're doing this. Your joy, you're praising in the midst of praying. You're allowing that joy of God to bubble from you, even in this midst of situations that seem like they're impossible. I, I, we can look and say, Lord, thank you that as a people of God, we're here today to lift and magnify us up. And today, as, as you're listening, maybe the Lord may have just dropped something into your heart, a little nugget that you can think, oh, I'm going to take that. Yeah, I didn't actually realize that when I'm doing these things, the positive impact it's having not only on my emotions, but actually in my body as well, my physical body. So I'm going to ask the worship team to just come now, and I'm just going to close the service. So maybe you're here today, and you really have um, received the word and are believing that God will help you to walk this through. I, I need help walking this through. We all need help walking this through. So why don't we pray together? Lord, thank you that you see every person in this building, every person that's watching online, and you know everything about our lives. You know every detail of our lives. And Lord, we're so thankful that you have given you us your word to guide and instruct us, to help us. Lord, your word declares that you came to give us life and life in abundance. And Lord, you want our life to be filled with all of the good things that you've promised. 
thank you today through your word. You're showing us just the importance of having a heart that's merry, having a heart that's rooted in your joy, having a heart that's a rejoicing heart. Lord, thank you. You're showing us and reminding ourselves that when we are choosing to place and elevate you first and foremost in our lives, that there are wonderful things that happen in our bodies as we choose to have a merry heart. So Lord, we pray that you would help us. You would um, help us receive this word, show areas that maybe you can help us in. And Lord, we thank you for each person here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we worship together before we go this morning? <laughs> 